the Dining at Disney podcast. The Dining at Disney podcast. You'll discover all the best restaurants and food as you hungrily explore the Disney parks. Let's do this thing! The Dining at Disney podcast. And now your hosts, Kristen and Bubba. Welcome to the Dining at Disney podcast. I'm Kristen and with me is Bubba. How are you doing, Bubba? Hi, I'm excellent. I can't wait for today's show, man. Because today we have a very special guest. We have from Wine Bar George, Master Sommelier, George Melotes. How are you doing? I am doing great, and it's a pleasure to be here. Can't wait to talk a little bit about wine. So, guys, today, just so you know, we're going to be talking about some basics about wine, how you go about selecting wine. Uh, Some of you submitted some questions, so we'll go through some of those listener questions as well. So, George, first of all, tell people a little bit about yourself and how how you ended up deciding to become a master sommelier, because that is a rarity in the world. So, it is a fun story, and I'll try to keep it um, maybe to the shortened version. Um, (laughs) But uh, if you're familiar with um, the California Grill at Disney, I uh, worked there, this is a long time ago, in the mid-90s, and um, had some very good years there. I'd always been a little bit interested in wine. My family owned restaurants in Orlando, Florida, and so it was, um, and when I worked for my dad in Orlando, I learned a little bit about wine, but um, hadn't really fully fleshed the idea out of becoming a Master Somme. And when I worked at the California Grill, um, I was lucky enough that the Court of Master Sommeliers came there, and um, they said, hey, we're going to do this introductory test. And I was like, hmm, that sounds like something that might be fun. Um, so I took the test and I did fairly well on the test. Um, and that kind of set sail with this thought, well, if I can run um, a restaurant fairly well, what am I going to do next to make sure my expertise um, is um, valued and used? And this credential seemed like a really cool thing. And back then there were only about 125 people who were master psalms. There's been a little bit of an explosion, particularly here in the United States with Master Psalms, but still at 200 people, um, it's a fairly small group, um, and it's a fun thing to do. It allows me to bring joy to all the diners who come and, um, and eat with us, and part of it is also a lot of the people who work with us at Wine Bar George are excited because every day we talk about wine, every day we sell wine, and every day we have fun with wine. So if you want to learn a trade that it's kind of a cool trade because you can have fun with it at home or you can um, use it as a profession, it can become an obsession or it can be just something that you move in and out of. So when it comes to like um, the basics for people who are, say, just now kind of getting into wine, what what kind of things do you think are important for them to know? So I'll, I'll start with something that's not so much about a specific piece of knowledge, but maybe a high-level strategy um, to allow yourself to learn a little bit more about wine and enjoy it without it being about, oh, I got to go to a class or I got to study. And I'm very big on whether it's my restaurant. If you come in, you like the vibe in my restaurant, you like the people, you have a server that you start a relationship with, as a, about wine and food, we can always guide you in ways where you can try wines, you can ask questions, um, and it's not so much about going to class. Or even if there's a wine shop in town that you like the vibe in that wine shop, you like the specific person who 
um, you go to with questions. Starting that wine relationship with a person, whether it's a restaurant or a retail shop, allows for you to gain knowledge and also to have um, a starting point and a person that can help to guide you. And a lot of times people get nervous about this because they're like, well, I don't have a lot of money to spend on wine. But one thing that we coach all our guests and I tell everybody, whether it's retail or in the restaurant space, there's nothing wrong with going in and saying, this is how much I have to spend. Um, Because that is a parameter that as a sommelier, I look at every single um, time a guest comes in and retail operators do exactly the same thing. And we're not, we don't grade people out as to the amount of money you spend. We want every guest to come in and have a fabulous experience. And that's all about um, what, what we do as a master sommelier is about accommodating and finding the appropriate wine, not necessarily the most expensive or the most storied or whatever it may be. So like the first thing that I tell everybody is having um, some type of relationship at a restaurant or a wine shop is key to your learning about wine. That way you don't have to get on the internet three hours a day and study Bordeaux. You can if you want, and it's cool to go study Bordeaux, then go into the wine shop or go into my place and say, hey, I was reading about this place called Bordeaux. I want to try some wines with Bordeaux from Bordeaux. And then we can fulfill that. And so having somebody to trust, to bounce things off of, um, and who can answer your questions is very important in the wine world. And like I think about my own experience, my father was very into wine, um, and so I had a sounding board from the time I was mm, 14 um, and selling wine in our, my family's deli and restaurant, um, and that was a competitive advantage over time as I learned young. Um, and so I tell everybody that is one of the main points. That's the first point, the starting point for everyone. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that it, it – it's nice to have a wine relationship with either, you know, bartender or, um, uh, you know, local shop. Um, oh, and here there's no, we, you can't own more than two liquor stores here. So everything is very, it's pretty much everybody's like one place and they are, you know, it, it, we moved. So we're now finding a new place to learn about like who is going to be our person we go to at the liquor store to talk about wines and stuff like that. So yeah, I definitely think it makes it a lot easier. And uh, you know, wine is a very, very personal thing. And I tell everybody a lot of times we get caught up in what may be cool or what somebody else is drinking. And I'm about everybody has their own tastes and their own likes in wine. There's nothing wrong with being honest. I don't like this wine. I like that wine. And one of the things, and I don't want to make it up for Wine Bar George, one thing that's cool that we do and differentiates us is all 160 wines on our list are available by the bottle, the glass, or the ounce. And so you can come in, and if you don't know what Moscato tastes like or you don't know what Chateau Margaux tastes like, you can get an ounce of either one and taste and see what's going on with the specific um, wine. And being in a setting like that is important. And one of the things that, like, we get very excited. We have guests who come in all the time who want to taste through the list or have heard about this wine. Do you carry it? And want to try things. And that's the fun of wine is not getting stuck in one specific wine or one specific varietal, but getting to do all these different things that um, and try new fun things that maybe you wouldn't get to just sticking to, oh, I found this one wine I like. Yeah. Do you that's something, that's actually something that I, 
um, experience when I was a server for, for Italian restaurants. And that was one part of my job was that I loved to give the samples to the guest, you know, before they, you know, right when they sit down and, you know, talking about the wine, letting them know, you know, what kind of wine, a Moscato or, you know, something very dark. And, you know, seeing their faces when they tried, you know, you could tell, you know, like, oh, they're not going to like this one or, oh, they'll definitely like this one. So maybe they'll like these other varieties of wine. And, uh, you know, that's something I like seeing on their faces when they try the wine, you know, what their experience is with it. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I've been in the business since the seventies, which is a long time ago, but there's still <laughs> things yeah, that I learn and things for me to try and people to ask questions of. So it is something that you can learn your whole life. There's not a, you know, not a time where, oh, I've gotten too old, you know, like playing football. There's a, a window of being able to play football um, that at some point in time closes up. Wine, you can, you can start when you're 21 and you can go until, um, you know, <laughs> whenever you want. And this is the beauty of wine is there's always something to learn and there's always a place that maybe you haven't heard of or wine you haven't tried. Now, there, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kristen. Go ahead, Kristen. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say there are two things that um, I like to tell everybody, whether they're at the um, beginner stage or the stage, that are the two forgotten about things with with wine. And the first one is clean glassware. Like when we drink at my house, yes. generally I've hand washed my glasses before we um, before we start. And I have glassware that can go in the dishwasher. And there's sometimes if it's just my wife Leanne and I drinking that we'll pull them out of the dishwasher and pour into them. But if people come over, where we make sure all the glassware is appropriately clean, um, is odor free, and is ready to use. Um, because sometimes, and I'd say the most the mistake that's made most often is people drinking out of dirty glassware. Um, or glassware that has an odor in it, even if it happens by mistake, you store your glasses in a wood cabinet, it is going to pick up the aroma of whatever wood that you have. So they have to be cleaned um, if you're storing them in that cabinet. There are a lot of angles with that that just I make sure, particularly when professional taste. Um, and the second thing is the very simple fact of serving reds the right temperature and whites the right temperature. And reds very often are served at room temperature wherever you are, and that can is generally in the United States too warm um, for the wine. And I'm not saying it's this horrible thing, but um, red wine should really be drunk in the 60-degree range. At the restaurant, we keep our wines at, our reds at about 68 degrees, um, which is just a little bit of a chill on the wines. And temperature it's going to size alcohol and emphasize flavors in the wine and make it really really good with whites it's the opposite a lot of times we keep whites in our refrigerator in the 60s i mean in the 30s and the wines and if you take them out 10 minutes before they're going to come up into the 40s um, and maybe even the low 50s, and they're going to be a perfect temperature to enjoy all the flavors. You know, there are some wines that are best really, really cold. And I'm not saying those you can't drink really, really cold. But if you're drinking um, wine that you want to emphasize the flavors, having them in the 50-degree range, particularly people drink a lot of Chardonnay with oak, those wines are best with a little bit of the chill off of them as opposed to being really, really ice cold. So if you are putting, uh, wanting to cool down your red wines, how long should you throw that in the refrigerator for, do you think? 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Okay. 
yep, all we want to do is drop the temperature below 70. Um, and there's a reason for this. Um, as the world's gotten warmer, the style of winemaking has been higher alcohols. Um, the warmer your red wine, the more alcohol is going to show, the less flavor is going to show. So if you chill them down a little bit, it's going to mute the alcohol a touch, and it's going to allow the flavors and the aromas of the wine to express themselves. Very nice. Do you have a, a favorite varietal or region or anything like that? Um, so that's kind of like asking me which one of my three children is my favorite. I do love all three the same. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying. Um, but <laughs> as um, I do have my infatuations from time to time right now, Tempranillo from um, Spain and Toro in particular as a wine growing region is something that I'm just, uh, I like to drink a lot of. Um, you know, I love the wines of California a lot. Um, I still like Cabernet out of South Africa quite a bit. Um, but you know, I like trying a lot of different things. I'm an equal opportunity drinker. I'll have a mixed <laughs> drink and a beer sometimes too. Um, so I like to drink around. I'm not, I don't like to fixate on one thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, the Spanish wine that you mentioned recently, uh, when you did the, uh, Corvin, um, discussion, both Baba and I have tried to find that Protocolo wine Protocolo. and he, and it, neither of us can find it where we live. Strange. There- where, where, where are y'all? I'm in California. I'm in central California. About an hour and a half from uh, Paso Robles. All right. Um, so I would try wine.com if you can't find it in the local store. But I know in California, Protocolo is distributed in California. So again, part of this goes back to find a wine shop who wants to fulfill what you want. But it's just a matter of calling up a couple distributors and finding out who has Protocolo and then selling it to you. Um was to me like, all right, there's wines that give really, really a lot of joy for their price. And Protocolo is one of those wines. It's not particularly expensive, but it is delicious. Um, and for having around, particularly in summertime, when people come over, you want to have a little, you know, you're going to cook something on the grill or whatever it is. Having Protocolo around is, uh, is a good thing. Yeah, the one place I went, they're going to see if they can order it for me. And where, yeah. Kristen, where are you? Uh, just outside of Nashville. I would think it's there too. Um, so yeah, have them check, and you know they make a rosé also that's as beautiful a rosé at a fair price as there is. And so um, don't be shy on their red or their rosé. I'll have to try that too. Uh, let's see what uh, red wines. I have a question uh, about. I some people react to the histamines in the in the reds. Is there a wine? For somebody who likes to drink reds that maybe has less of them in it, that they wouldn't react as much? So I'm not a chemist, um, <laughs> but I, I know enough I know enough to, know enough to uh, get into trouble. Or maybe I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I don't know. Um, so here's... Here's what I'd say about histamines and um, red wine. A couple, I, I do one thing. Uh, people who say they get a headache after drinking red wines immediately, I say try a couple aspirins before you take, before you start drinking, um, and sometimes that helps. And then I would say the more naturally made wines um, are probably your angle. So finding small growers or small makers that make the wine as opposed to um, getting big brands where they may be um, dealing with lots of grapes at one time and have to not take shortcuts, but do things to make sure their grapes don't start fermentations and those things. So the more naturally made your wine, I'd say probably the better angle. That's good to know. Yeah, I know that like in, in, 
Italy, they don't add the additional sulfites into the wines to preserve them. And some people do really well who normally get headaches can definitely drink those wines. Yes. And some of it is if you drink closer to where the wine is made, they don't have to do things to ensure shipability. Because most wineries, uh, 99.9% of the wineries in the world add that last little bit of sulfite um, when the wine is bottled so that it will not... um, I don't want to say spoil, but there nothing will happen during shipping. Um, and so if the wine is made close to where you are, you don't have to worry about that because you don't have to stabilize it for shipping. And that's why like a lot of people go to Italy and like, oh, I had this great wine in this local town and they just made it for the restaurant. And yes, those wines are made as naturally as possible. And if you are, um, if you are, you know, susceptible to histamines or to sulfites, you probably have a leg up. So do you have a wine for somebody who's just starting to to get into trying wines of where they should maybe start as a type of wine to kind of get their feet wet? So um, I would tell you that, you know, Chardonnay as a white and Cabernet as a red are kind of the two leaders and knowing a little bit about those two wines um, is a good thing. But I like to add a little bit of differentiation also in. So if I were a new wine drinker and I wanted to learn about wine, I would ask for an oak Chardonnay, an unoaked or a re- an oak Chardonnay Riesling, because Riesling is almost never oak, but a German Riesling. And then I'd ask for Beaujolais from Gamay, because it's very seldom oak, and then Cabernet from Napa because it is um, oaked in a very traditional style. So you have four wines there that maybe you can taste all together at one point and do a little bit of differentiation for yourself. Because German Riesling is all about being lean and unoaked. American Chardonnay is generally be about being oaked and round and rich. So you have two different styles there. And then with um, Gamay from Beaujolais, generally unoaked, generally fruity, low tannin, um, but still serious. And then Napa Valley Cabernet, generally heavily oaked, generally very rich, high alcohol and powerful. And there, of the four wines, one wine isn't right or wrong or better or worse. They're all about different styles and different uses. And you can figure out for yourself what you like without being kind of tainted by this thought that because it's Napa Valley Cabernet and it's expensive, I've got to like it because maybe you don't like that style and you like the Beaujolais style better. Both wines are really, really cool and equally legit. They're just different styles. That's great. I haven't thought of that before, of starting somebody with that kind of, those basic four wines. And the funny thing is like, you go to a restaurant and you order a wine, it's going to taste good because it's wine and that's what you're <laughs> drinking. <laughs> but very seldom do we sit down and do we try two wines next to each other and figure, oh, maybe I like this style better than that style. And again, at the restaurant, that's what we love doing with guests because you can get two ounces of Cabernet and two ounces of Beaujolais and make your own decision as opposed to believing the sommelier, whether they're a master sommelier, an advanced sommelier, or one of my servers that we've trained a lot. Um, it is more about you being able to uh, to figure out what your palate feels is best. Yeah, I do like the fact because I've never seen anywhere else um, that I've been offer wine, all their wines by the ounce, the glass, or the bottle. So I think that's a really cool thing about Wine Bar George. It is, it is fun, and it's part, you know, it's part of what we do and um, the beauty of the restaurant. But it's 
funny again a lot of times people come in and think oh they're very very serious and we are serious about our wine but we take guests of all all knowledge levels and that's the fun you get somebody who's new to the wine business or new to just exploring wine we love to show people what the differences are and to take them through tastings um, or just find the one appropriate glass that's good for them that day. Yeah. So I'm going to ask for a personal recommendation from you. I like Oaky Chardonnay. So if I was out looking for one, $15 and under, is there one you would suggest? Mm, 15 and under. So I would look for um, Markham Chardonnay. Now it may be a little bit, it may be in the 16 to 17 um, range, um, but Markham Chardonnay to me is about as good as it gets. Um, All Napa Valley fruit, very traditional California style is delicious um kendall jackson vintners reserve i know is made in large quantities but we serve it at the restaurant because very fairly priced very traditional california chardonnay you should try you should be able to find that in the 15 maybe a little bit more um range and the reason that a lot of people are okay why is my oaky chardonnay more than um, my unoak Chardonnay. Oak barrels, good oak barrels cost money. Um, and that does change the kind of price parameters when you're making um, making really good wine. But I would say KJ and Markham for me for that California style that's as rich and as beautiful and still balanced. Um, those two wines are the wines we enjoy selling. I actually had the uh, Kendall Chardonnay just the other night. <laughs> yep it's really really good for the price and i taste i we blind taste all the time with competitors and they really they do a fabulous job at a very fair price now what would you recommend i'm more of a sweet wine person so moscato you know prosecco something like that what would you recommend for you know i'm i'm usually not a price guy if it tastes great i'll i'll purchase it if it's a 20 30 dollar bottle i know I, that's great you know so so um, given those parameters, I would tell you to go to a good wine shop, tell them how much you want to spend on the bottle, and say you want to try German Riesling at the Cabinet, K-A-B-I-N-E-T-T level, or the Spatelese level, S-P-A-T-L-E-S-E. And um, those are the two um, basic sweetness levels of German quality wine. Um, Cabernet being uh, lightly sweet, kind of like biting into a perfect Granny Smith apple. There's a little bit of sweetness up front, but then there's good tartness in the back. Yeah. And then Spate Lesa being a little bit more sweet. And to me, it's the logical progression. Moscato is delicious. Maybe I want to try something um, a touch less sweet, but still sweet. German Riesling is the next move to make. Um, but Moscato is delicious as can be. We use La Perlina as a brand that we just feel is really, really delicious um, and very fairly priced. Nice. Yeah. All right. As far as pairings, so say if somebody likes big bowl flavors, what kind of wines might you suggest for them to to order? So with bold flavors for white wine, um, I generally push people towards Sauvignon Blanc because Sauvignon Blanc has that very, very piercing kind of pink grapefruit thing going on with it, a little bit of kind of green pepper asparagus aroma too. So the first time you swirl and you sniff a, um, a Sauvignon Blanc, you always remember what it tastes like. In particular, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is that way. So if you want to try something that is powerful and unique and that you can really like, when you put your nose in a glass of good, 
New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. You definitely get the pink grapefruit. You definitely get the green pepper asparagus thing. So they're easy, easily identified aromas are a great place. That's a great place to start as with white wine. For powerful red wine in particular, Cabernet is still um, kind of uh, high ground with that. But there are others that can give that same amount of pleasure and power. Malbec is another one from Argentina where um, the flavors are very ripe, very rich, and very potent. Um, also very unique if you want to spend a little bit more money and try something that's a little bit more out there. There are two growing areas in the north of Italy called Barolo and Barbaresco. Um, they only grow the Nebbiolo grape there. And Nebbiolo is a very unique grape. It doesn't color a lot, but it's high in tannin, high in acid, tends to little be, be a little bit more earthy than fruity. And so when we talk about powerful wines, that's one of the unique powerful wines. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to ask you some Disney questions now. That sounds good to you. <laughs> awesome. So what is your favorite park? What's my favorite park? Oh, I'm MGM Studios all the way. Okay. Your favorite attraction? Um, Tower of Terror. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, favorite Disney animated movie? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to be Lion King because my uh, daughter, who's now 23, when she was younger, she'd watch it like once a day for a whole year. <laughs> and when, when Mufasa died, she'd always be on the couch crying like, uh, like uh, and so uh, it's good, good movie in and of itself. And then it brings back good memories. That's awesome. Yeah. Favorite live action. So it can be Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Muppets. Um, original Star Wars is pretty classic. I think a lot Can't of people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, One of the great people just don't remember was like I was a kid when the first Star Wars came out, and at that time it was like, wow, why didn't other people think of this? And it's gone on to greatness, but in the, it had to be what seventies, early eighties. I can't remember when it came out, but um, it was a unique and new and really cool thing. So. Absolutely great movie. Uh, favorite Disney snack? Ooh. Favorite Disney snack? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's uh, Frascato at Wine Bar George. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's made with Dole Whip. That's made with pineapple Dole Whip. Oh. So that makes it a Disney snack no matter how you oh, look at yeah. it. So oh. um, I don't mean to be a shill for my own thing, but um, guests love pineapple Dole Whip. And that's you had me at Dole Whip. I know. You had that's me right. at Dole Whip. <laughs> <laughs> We have that game. Uh, and last question. Besides Lime Bar, George, what is your favorite Disney restaurant? Um, well, you know, I spent eight years of my life at California Grill, and so I still love going back up to the grill. There's still some team members who are original team members or cast members. When I work there, I like seeing them, and, you know, there are a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that restaurant, and so that is by far and away my favorite. Disney restaurant. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Have you ever have you made your way to California, Disneyland in California? I have been to Disneyland in California, although it has been ooh, probably about eighteen years. Oh wow, you definitely but need I to come. <laughs> I have been to the I have been to the Napa Rose when it first opened. And, oh okay, uh, I think that's the most excellent restaurant. Oh, uh, yeah, that it is. Well, George, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you coming on, and hopefully we'll have you back again sometime. Maybe next time I'm down in Orlando, we'll have to get together. It'd be awesome. About some Sounds like a plan. Right. Thank you all. Thank you. Yep. Thank yep. you. Bye now. Bye.
Well, we hope you have enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell for us. Uh, you can find us on Anchor and many other podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Bubba, tell everybody where they can find you as well as Dining at Disney. Uh, you can find me at on Instagram at big underscore Bubba underscore B. You can also go to the Dining at Disney uh, Facebook page. And, um, I mean, we're all over the place, too. We like to go to the Source to Radio Fun Zone um, and, you know, post a couple things there. And, uh, yeah, just uh, come say hi to me. Drop me a message. We are hoping to get some news about Disneyland in the next couple of weeks, whether it would be open or not. So until that time. Everybody in the East Coast, have a great time. Once the park opens in a couple weeks, get ready and uh, be safe. Definitely be safe, everybody. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure that you you support us by subscribing, liking, clicking the notification bell. You can also donate just like one of our top fans, Lindsay, has on Anchor. Donate button there. Thank you so much. Lindsay, and then we've got Amazon, Disney Store, and other places like that that you can also um, hook us up and shop those links in. And uh, it gives us like a little tip, you know. So, also make sure that you check out our friends WDW Park Hoppers live on Facebook. Uh, Park Hopper Sid, Park Hopper John, they recently have been to. Uh, Wine Bar Georgian broadcast there, but you can check them out Tuesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Time from a Walt Disney World uh, restaurant or bar. Until next time, I'm Kristen. With me is Bubba. Bon appetit. This podcast is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its holdings and is intended for entertainment purposes. 